The air was filled with tension as we sat with Snapper. The League had been arguing for over 45 minutes about what to do with the traitor in their midst, and all we could do was watch. Suddenly, silence fell over the room as the suspect in question arrived. Green Arrow had a lot to answer for. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. I have to get whatever this is. Oh, there we go. Okay. Oh, no. There was a thing. Mike Lynn. Mike Lynn. And I had, and I saw it forever and I could not see it anyway. <laughs> Dead uh, pixels. Yeah. Oh. So we're back to JLA. This is what you've all been waiting for, presumably. Hopefully, if you at all care about this podcast. If not, I hey, we haven't talked about the JLA in a long time, and welcome to your first episode, I guess. But hey, here we are. So what we're going to be doing is doing a little bit of a recap first about who is in the JLA. And then we're going to start in with these four issues of JLA that uh, we've got here that will go from mid-1961 to 1962 we're going to do another episode after this that goes from 1962 to the start of 1963 very specifically because then some really big stuff happens in the worlds of in the world of comics in general and the dc universe in general so that being said let's do a little bit of a recap so the members of the jla are as follows barry allen the flash the fastest man alive Barry Allen was struck by lightning while in his forensic science lab, bathes in chemicals, and now has the ability to run faster than humanly possible and beyond the speeds of whatever John Broom, Robert Kaniger, and Gardner Fox can believably write into their comics. He's just a cool dude. He's got a girlfriend named Iris, and he lives in Central City. Next, we have Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan is a test pilot from Coast City, which is somewhere in California, presumably, and he is a member of the Green Lantern Corps. We haven't explained what the Corps is yet so much as we've only met the Guardians of the Universe who are the leaders of the Corps. They are these galactic police officers, for lack of a better term, but Hal doesn't know much about them other than that he now belongs to them and the alien that died on Earth that gave him the ring and said that he was chosen to carry it is now made him a member of the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, Hal has a weakness to his ring, which is the color yellow and he must recharge it every 24 hours. Other than that, he can just make constructs out of the ring of pure energy, pretty much of whatever he wants. The ring can do pretty much anything, mm -hmm. uh, like depower individuals, which he never does, or also make sentient creatures. We're not going to talk too much about that, but the ring has way too much power at this point in time. Uh, Aquaman, who is just Aquaman, he has no secret identity at this point. Um, he lives in the ocean wherever he pleases. He has his sidekick, uh, Aqualad, who is a kid who got cast out from Atlantis, who now lives with him. He must be submerged in water every hour, or he will dry out and die. He, he is able to communicate with sea creatures and has some moderate super strength and invulnerability capabilities. We have the Martian Manhunter. Uh, Jean Jeans is an alien from Mars who was brought here to Earth by Professor Erdell's mechanical brain, which is just short for a computer that does anything. Uh, it's a Swiss Army science computer. And the machine teleported him to Earth. He was stuck here for a while. He has now taken up the guise of John Jones, a very creative naming process for himself. And he's a detective in Parts Unknown USA. We don't really know where it is, but... Now he's also been 
actively showing up as the Martian Manhunter in the city and stopping crime. Next we have Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is an Amazon from Paradise Island, seemingly immortal, super strong, super fast, can fly, also has an invisible jet. Um, she is in love with a army intelligence colonel named Steve Trevor. Um, he's completely smitten with Wonder Woman, but not her alternate identity, which is Diana Prince, who is his secretary and also a lieutenant in the Air Force or Secret Intelligence Committee. It's not really quite sure. It's Army Secret mm-hmm. Intelligence. She's based out of also Parts Unknown USA, presumably Washington, D.C., um, but she stops crimes and is, you know, the only woman on the team, but she's not being Jean Grade, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the sense that she is not, her power isn't that she's a woman or her defining characteristic isn't that she's a woman. She's actually kind of a whole character because she has her own book. So she kind of avoids that trope. Obviously, there is also Batman, who is, you know, the billionaire uh, philanthropist and uh, late at night playboy when Bruce Wayne, who has his sidekick Robin, who is Dick Grayson, who is a orphan child that he has adopted. Um, Batman, as you know, his parents were murdered in, a, in an alleyway and he vowed to fight crime and dresses up like a bat when he does so. He has a bunch of cool gadgets and is also a member of the Justice League alongside Superman. Superman, the last son of a dying world that exploded after his parents sent him hurling off into space and he landed on Earth, was adopted by the Kents in Smallville and now is the man of tomorrow, the man of steel, Superman. I, I really hope I don't have to explain Superman and Batman to you. <laughs> um, but if you do, those are some really basic coverings of them. Batman has no powers, um, but he has tons of gadgets. Superman has every power, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, super speed and vulnerability, laser eyes, super breath. Uh, he can fly into space. He can travel through time. It's a whole, it's a, it's a mess. There's just a lot going on there. Now, we have the honorary member of the Justice League, who is Snapper Carr. Yeah, Snapper Carr is just a cool youth that lives in Happy Harbor, uh, USA. I'm thinking Happy Harbor somewhere in, like, New England, Maine-ish. I believe, has that feel. I believe in Young Justice, it is actually Maine. They they describe, it's Happy Harbor, Maine, USA. Things um, looked way too temperate for Maine. I, I mean, I'm not going to judge. But Happy Harbor was the site of the first Justice League meetup in the Brave and the Bold comic, Brave and the Bold number... 27 i want to say off the top of my head 27 28 somewhere in that range yeah. Maybe 28 you're correct uh brave and the bold number 28 uh where they fought starro the conqueror which was a giant conquering starfish thing creature so from space it was a great it was a great story and you should go back and listen to that episode where we talk about it uh snapper was not affected by starro's mind control and helped the justice league defeat starro and they were like wow you're a cool kid why don't you be an honorary member because we need that youth vote because for some reason we haven't brought any of our sidekicks we're not, we're not going to talk about that. Um, however, in the last episode we covered with Justice League, a new member was inducted. After some trials and tribulations that the uh, League encountered, it was Green Arrow. Green Arrow is Oliver Queen. He's also a millionaire, billionaire type who was stranded on an island after his boat was shipwrecked. Learned how to be an archer and make trick arrows on this island by himself. Got back to, er, uh, you know, civilization and went to back to Star City where he lives and has begun to stop crime there along with his sidekick also adopted uh, youth character who was raised by Native Americans, Speedy, uh, Roy Harper, who does the exact same thing and just is really good at archery. So we have The Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, Martian Manhunter, Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman, Green Arrow. 
that is your core hero team for the Justice League in 1962. And it is worth noting that <clears throat> Superman and Batman, because they're so popular in their own comics, don't they're they're there, but they are rarely yeah. center stage. They hardly do anything and or show up at all. Yeah, let's put it that way. Um, Snapper Carr is, like we said, the youth um, kind of stand-in character to allow children and young people to feel like that's how I would be if I was a friend of the Justice League. Um, he doesn't do a whole lot, except now when we talk about him in these next couple of issues. Um, mm. But Snapper is just pretty much just a kid. He's a baseline human, 15, 16 years old. I want to say airing on the side more of 16. He talks very hip for a yep. 1960s kid, like he talks like a uh, beatnik sort of a kid, even though he dresses like a greaser. We're not going to talk about that. Um, he's got the leather jacket and stuff. Like he doesn't, he doesn't look like a beatnik because when I think beatnik in my head, is, is he's got a like a turtle. Or is it the Letterman? It looks like yeah, it might be a Letterman. So he looks more like a preppy kid than he does a beatnik. Yeah, because uh, he's not wearing like you know the turtlenecks and has glasses or whatever, yeah. like tight fitting jeans or something. Like he's he looks like a, a white bread middle America kid. Yep who happens to say like wowzers or that's coolsville and it's like that's not what a child like that would say but i don't know i wasn't i wasn't alive in the 60s so i couldn't tell you hopefully that little dramatis personae that we just gave you helps you not get lost in the <laughs> cacophony that is about to occur because because look it's not like this was challengers of the unknown where it's just red rocky ace and the professor and three it, of them are interchangeable yeah and it's like one of you is ben Grimm from the Fantastic Four, and the rest of you are all basically no one. Um, you're all kind of Han Solo, essentially. We will continue to probably do this every time the JLA lineup changes or we have a break from JLA and we come back. Just because it'll be easy, because you'll forget. You'll be like, who's on the JLA again? Now you know. So Gardner Fox is still writing uh, these, and I gotta say, the 1960s Gardner Fox, I'm digging his abilities. Um, he's coming off of, of course, Hawkman, Bottom line, Gardner Fox is writing better stuff now. We've seen it happen. We know he can do it. Um, Mike Sikowski and Bernard Sachs are doing the art. So Sikowski is doing the pencils. Sachs is doing the inks. So, like I said, we've got four issues to cover. They're kind of long because these are full-length book stories. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the Superman mags, the Batman mags, the Wonder Woman mags, and occasionally Flash comics. Um, when it's not Kid Flash interchangeably. So... Uh, we're going to start with Justice League of America, number five, June, July, 1961. Uh, immediately after <laughs> Green Arrow is inducted into the League, he is the center of a treason plot to the League. And the League accuses Green Arrow of being a traitor and betraying them during their most recent outing, uh, fighting a bunch of villains. Which, first of all, I have to say, I think that's the first instance of villain team-ups that we've encountered. Mm, rogues yeah straight up straight up villain team ups or i I mean the we might have had a rogues no we have not no we have not had the rogues team up in flash oh. we I, have not had huh. we have not had the flash rogues team up against flash fair enough um we have uh the first three villains that the that uh green arrow wonder woman and flash fought were captain cold professor menace and the king and king clock green arrow uh is to King Clock as Wonder Woman is to Professor Menace as the Flash is to Captain Cold. Mm. They're their respective villains. Conversely, for the other three members of the team that were involved in this adventure, you had Electric Man, Monty Moran, and the Puppet Master. Uh, Monty Moran was for 
Martian Manhunter, Electric Man was, if I remember properly, a Aquaman villain that came and went. And the Puppet Master was also a come and gone uh, Green Lantern villain. So the reason Superman and Batman were not mentioned in this is because they were off doing other shit at the time. So during this trial, they say, hey, Superman and Batman and Snapper Carr weren't there when all this went down. How about you guys be the jury and we present our evidence? I do love the degree to which they lampshade the fact that continuators and continuators like ourselves would be like, but where were they? Yeah, exactly. Uh, where were the most important characters for your brand? Not there. Doing other things. Um, One's quite literally <laughs> the D in the DC. Yeah. Um, I want to say their excuse is that like Superman was was like traveling through time and Batman yeah, was doing often, something like they, they were, were literally they were literally doing their own probably like Brave and the Bold or World's Finest Adventure. And like that was happening at the time this was occurring. So mm-hmm. they've returned. They are now on the jury to see whether or not Green Arrow is a traitor or not. And during each of these situations against these three villains, apparently Green Arrow's arrows were used to either help the villains get away or somehow inconvenience the heroes to allow the villains to get away. And so they're like, you're obviously in cahoots with the villains, otherwise you wouldn't have let them get away. And Green Arrow goes, okay, it's my turn to defend myself because obviously this is how juries and trials work. I'm going to explain to you that every villain we fought was a robot because Professor Menace, who, if you remember from the Wonder Woman episodes that we did, you may not. If not, go back and listen to him. Professor Menace made a robot Wonder Woman, and that was his whole gimmick, was making lifelike robots. Oh, that, that were... was him. Yeah, I had All to, right. I had to, oh yeah. man, I was like, who are these people? Because some of them, I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, King Clock and Captain no. Cold, they look like Silver Age villains, clearly I remember them, but I'm like, Professor Menace, and they like legit pulled something from the Wonder Woman lore from her own book and made it a, a plot relevant point like a hundred points to Gardner Fox's house for doing his research, <laughs> like one hundred percent. He would be he would be Hufflepuff. Really? He's not the smartest. We know yeah, that. That that's that's true. We know how much he hand waves over science. Um, bottom line being, Gardner Fox gets major kudos for looking at the lore for a book he's not even writing. One thing that we do see at this stage, like going through the uh, mail columns. It's there. There is that culture of internal consistency and like the burgeoning awareness of like continuity could be a thing. It's not really yet, but that sense of oh, there are these characters and they should exist. Right. Uh, they are doing those brownie point pulls. Yeah. So Professor Menace apparently made a bunch of robots in Green Arrow's defense. And he's like, and these, all these villains are robots because they weren't breathing. You know, I could tell that they weren't breathing because there was no mist coming from their mouths when we were in the cold cave with Captain Cold and King Clock. So they clearly were robots and the other guys were robots because of reasons. And he goes, and I'll I'll prove that I also know who the real trainer is. It's Green Lantern because that's not Green Lantern because his ring worked against something yellow when we were fighting the, the fake puppet masters monsters. And the guy goes, uh, yep, you caught me. I'm not Green Lantern. And they're like, holy shit. This is a fake dude. Because remember, none of them know what their secret identities are. So they actually don't know that that's not Hal Jordan. Because his face is covered. True. So they're like, oh, you must be Green Lantern because you're a brunette and you're white. <laughs> like, 
that's your defining feature. You're because super because if you think about it, the only other two males who have their hair and skin color showing that much are Superman and Aquaman. Superman's got black hair, huh. and Aquaman is blonde and Green Arrow and Green Lantern. Uh, no, there's one other snapper. True, and also Green Arrow's hair is blonde, but he's in a Green yeah, Arrow yeah, suit. He's got but the but Hal Jordan is decidedly the only brunette yeah. on the Justice League because if you think about it. Bruce Wayne's hair is black and Barry Allen's blonde. Yeah. Hal Jordan is yeah. the only brunette and that's the only <laughs> defining feature that they're going off of. <laughs> so it's just really, it's bonkers to me that they're like, oh yeah, we literally wouldn't know if you're an imposter or not because we don't know what you look like. I guess we're all face blind. Um, <laughs> so they find out that this guy's an imposter. And he's like, yep, I'm an imposter. Sorry. And so they go to <laughs> the Justice League as a group, walks him to the police station, which was stupid oh my god it's a very mama duck kind of visual it's like all of them surrounding this fake green lantern and he's like i was pretending to be green lantern because i had these like metal discs that were anti-gravity and my ring did stuff that bottom line he had gadgetry that made him fly and he had a green lantern fake suit as they're walking to turn him in the team gets lifted up into a ship by a gravitron will deadner ray Something that deadens gravity and a person's will. And we find out that this is created by the fake Green Lantern, who is actually uh, Dr. Destiny, a real villain from the rest of the comics forward. I think he's even he even has his own Batman the Animated Series or Justice League Unlimited episode. Huh. Um, he does not look like this. It's, it's bizarre. If you Google Dr. Destiny in Justice League, he looks completely different. And he has something to do with dreams, I think. It's, it's a lot. There's a lot going on. Um, but... Dr. Destiny's like, congrats, I've got the Justice League. Now I can be free to do stuff to the world now that they're under my spell. And he puts the rest of them in like these little containment units that also are will deadening rays. So as they, as Dr. Destiny begins to monologue, Green Lantern breaks out of his confinement because he's like, when you use the will deadening ray to pick them up, it turned my cell containment unit off because apparently it power surges and I got free and now I'm free and now I can beat the crap out of you and save everybody. And they do and he does and everyone's like, wow, thanks, GL. We're really glad that you're cool. And he's like, thanks for finding me, guys. Thanks for knowing I was missing. <laughs> and apparently that prompts them all to get like, you know, distress beacons on their outfits now. Which is cool. I do yeah. like that the the list of gadgets is getting bigger. League gadgets specifically. Yeah. Um, so that's the end of the story. Green Lantern saves the day from the fake Green Lantern that is Dr. Destiny. Justice League number six, August, September, 1961. <sighs> oh boy. <laughs> Professor Amos Fortune develops a machine that essentially puts a person's good and bad luck out of whack mm. so that he can control it artificially and make a person have bad luck and make himself have good luck. So, the, he tests it out in the Justice League to make sure that they all get bad luck while doing mundane Justice League things. It doesn't stop them from doing whatever their job is doing. It just hinders them and makes them look kind of stupid. And um, he's like, fantastic, my dumb outfit and gadgetry work. And everyone's like, yeah, it's a really weird color scheme, black and white, yin-yang sort of a thing going on. And it's not doing too well. It's very Dickensian, yin-yang, black and white. Like, it's got like a long coat and it's like a three-piece suit. And it's- That was a combination of phrases like i was trying to figure out where the dickensian side was coming from but yeah, yeah he's okay, dressed he's I dressed like a charles dickens character but like in black and white tones only it's very weird um 
and he's kind of like portly and he's got like a bald patch and he's just it's uh, he looks like dom deloise i guess if that's a reference that you're gonna get thanks fans all 10 of you who understand what that who what that actor looks like um he's like perfect now my machine works now what i'm gonna do is just like point it at myself and give myself infinite good luck for the rest of my life and just hopefully that works out for me i guess so the justice league who's like well that sucked uh we had a bad run today where's superman and batman oh they're gone doing other things again um so it's just the b team (laughs) i guess which is everyone else in the justice league sans batman and superman and they're like well it's an off day we haven't had a justice league emergency in a month which means we meet up you know as a group arbitrarily and we answer mail god i forgot about that aspect of this and so they answer some they they pull some mail out that snapper's like hey you have requests like they take requests like and they go on the most scooby-doo bullshit adventures (laughs) that are the biggest waste of time ever for them i i wouldn't even put this on the challengers of the unknown like Mm -hmm. There is no team that we know of right now that is equipped to deal with this level of mundanity, except maybe the sidekicks, and they haven't become a team yet. These are some Teen Titans level meddling kids hijinks. Um, Now, these two requests are a young woman is saying like, I'm going to lose my house that my grandparents and I live in, and uh, if we don't find money on my property... And they're like, sure, we'll go deal with that. So Green Arrow, Flash, and Martian Manhunter go to that. And Aquaman, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman go to this other one, which is a museum. Is like, we keep getting robbed. Help. And I'm like, really? <laughs> All right. So in the middle of the story, these two groups go away. And Professor Fortune is like, hmm, I wonder where my good luck will take me. And it takes him to, of course, both of these situations where he gets some good luck and finds the treasure on the girl's property and then also figures and finds the stash of stolen museum items and sells them and becomes super wealthy. Now, mind you, the Justice League at the girl's house, they find oil on her property and she sells it and she makes a million mint dollars. It doesn't matter. She gets rich and she leaves with her grandparents. Anyway, uh, and the museum thief is caught. Hooray. So... The group reconvenes and they're like, wow, that was some weird luck that that dude showed up and like found all this stuff and profited. They're like, that happened to you too? And he shows up at the JLA headquarters in Happy, or I guess in Happy Harbor. I don't know where it is. They haven't established where it is. I think it's Mount Justice, but they haven't named it yet. I think that's where they are is Mount Justice. I forgot that was what that place was called. Um, And so they're like, and he's like, what a coincidence. I'm going to use my bad luck on all of you. And they all incapacitate themselves. He keeps them hostage and he's about to basically overload them with bad luck. So that they all f- presumably die from bad luck. Something something so terrible befalls all of them that is so unlucky that it kills them all. Um, and then Martian Manhunter's like, not on my watch. And beats the crap out of the guy and, you know, balances everybody's luck out. And the guy's like, how could this possibly have backfired on me? And he's like, I'm not human. And your machine is specifically targeted at the human luck gland. That I yeah. guess is now DC canon. Yeah, I want to. I want to go on record. Like, first off, this if we took everything that was established in these stories, like as DC as, canon, as DC canon, like there's <laughs> no, there are too many laws of nature that get just turned willy nilly. Yeah, science, uh, magic isn't real. Next issue, magic is totally real. Yeah, you just have to do it the right way. Yeah, but I want. I as I an want, Amazon don't believe in magic. What? <laughs> I want to go on record as saying that luck glands. Is stupid bullshit. This is why however, he's, this is why he's not in Ravenclaw. Yeah. 
<laughs> However, John John's not having the same arrangement of luck glands and so being able to like no your shit your bro your shit doesn't work on me is amazing it's the best it's such a purpose of plot like <laughs> it really is plot devices mr frodo plot devices uh it's so good oh man and he just beats him up and saves everybody and everyone's like good job martian manhunter on literally just being you not that he couldn't morph into anything that he wanted to be and then have a human luck gland, but we're not going to jump down that rabbit hole because we totally would if I had my day in court and we're not going <laughs> to go there. But yes, Professor Fortune is arrested after a misuse of his luck machine on an alien that doesn't have the same physiology as the rest of us. Um, Attempted luck transfer on an alien species. <laughs> that is at least 10 years in jail. <laughs> um, gotta be. Um, JLA number seven. October, November, 1961. Snapper and his girl, presumably girlfriend or gal pal, uh, go to a fair and go into a funhouse that transports them to another world. Straight up to another planet. And Snapper's Justice League uh, distress signal, thank God, works from that far away. And Superman and Martian Manhunter and a couple other people show up and they save him. And they're like, what the hell are you doing here? And he's like, I went to a fun fair. And I went into a goddamn like fun house and I got transported across time and space. Please help me. And they're like, wow, we better look into this. However, it's probably going to give it away if we go in our JLA outfits. Why don't we all go into go in as our secret identities that none of us know and check back later? So this is the first time that we've seen the JLA do anything as their secret identities to go scope out this fun house. Meanwhile, uh, Superman and Batman and Martian Manhunter go into space back to the planet where Snapper and his girlfriend were to rescue anybody else who might still be on that planet because clearly they have the idea that if people go into this fun house, they're going to get tra transported here, so they're going to save them. So that's how Superman, Batman, and Martian Manhunter don't appear in the story. Um, they are, again, sir, not appearing in this movie. And Aquaman stays at home because he's like, I have no secret identity. I'm just Aquaman, so I'm going to stick around here at the Justice League headquarters and, you know, uh, help you guys coordinate. And they're like, cool. So Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash, and Green Arrow dress up as their alter egos, Diana Prince, Barry Allen, Hal Jordan, and Oliver Queen, and go into this fun house in which they are all taken captive and made had copies made of them. And in doing so, the aliens... Uh, begin to impersonate the JLA members because they're like, once we make copies of you, we can we know everything about your lives, I guess, and stuff. So they go and they're like, we need to get Aquaman because Aquaman isn't here. And as they try and lure in Aquaman, the JLA free themselves from their bonds. They get out and they're like, Aquaman, that's was that wasn't us. And he's like, holy cripes, what's going on? And they're like, the aliens, as they are revealed later once they are all captured, are from a different planet. They're here to gather a piece of equipment that landed on Earth. It's really not that important. They lost a war. They're mad about it. They want to go get the thing back. And the easiest way to do it, I guess, was to make a funhouse that did all this. It's roundabout. Bottom line being, the aliens are trying to get their military probe back, and this was the shortest route to do so, was to copy a bunch of humans so they could have a bunch of their people pretend to be humans and get this thing as opposed to just, like, you know, smash and grab. Anyway, as they're going through the funhouse... They go into a room with the Funhouse mirrors and the JLA actually get like transmogrified into what they look like in the Funhouse mirrors, except for Aquaman because he wasn't there when that happens. They all run out to go fight the aliens and Aquaman has to help the JLA in their weird new bodies fight the aliens 
and eventually does so. And they're like, wow, thanks, Aquaman, for knowing like a bunch about us and helping us figure out what we're doing. And I was like, that was actually kind of a neat story. (laughs) I like that sequence because it was like we've talked a little bit about the structure of, oh, I have like these three or four challenges. But because it like led off with a very establishing shot of, okay, here is what each of them looks like now. For instance, uh, Green Arrow is like distorted, short, and stubby, so his arms can't reach to draw the bow. Uh, and Aquaman very logically just like, okay, like do the whole like sit and then pull the yeah, draw the bow back exactly that. Uh, so that it has a lot of grounding in what you can actually believe and see coming. Right. And the, and like green lantern for whatever reason, doesn't remember who he is. So he helps green lantern remember his own oath. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back over this once we get to the, the end of the last story, but there's a lot of really interesting bits to look at in regards to that. Um, JLA number eight, this is the last story we're going to cover December, January, 1961 to 1962. The criminal Pete Ricketts, literally stumbles upon a device that was thrown out of a scientist's laboratory um, that essentially makes people do what you want. It was a device made to help someone essentially learn a bunch of stuff and retain a bunch of information as someone explained it. But what it also did was a side effect was made them do whatever you wanted. So he was like, oh no. And like, for whatever reason, it gets thrown out of his window and this guy stumbles upon it, gets the cops to leave him alone. And he's like, wow, this is great. So he goes to a bunch of criminals. He's like, I bet you money I could capture the Justice League. And they're like, sure, Pete, you got it. And so what he does is literally get the Justice League to come to him and uses the machine to make them not fight him and then brings them to the criminals. He's like, all right, I did it now. What? And they're like, um, well, we didn't think you'd get this far. So can we buy the Justice League off of you and like maybe kill them? And he's like, better counter offer. Why don't you make them do crimes for you? And they're like, that is a better offer. Now we must auction them so that we all get different members of the justice league to do this with again batman and superman are not here at this point so it is wonder woman green lantern aquaman martian manhunter green arrow and the flash so what the the bad guys do is they're like well my superhero can steal the most or my superhero can steal the most and they pit them against each other to see who can steal specific items over a certain amount of time. And when they come back, they're like, we'll destroy the losers. I'm like, this seems fair, I guess. And so they, they send them all off, you know, on in pairs of twos to deal with this. So green lantern and flash have to go steal an item. Uh, Aquaman and green arrow have to steal an item and wonder woman and Martian Manhunter have to steal an item. Each situation has the two teams fight. They're evenly matched, but the items in question either disappear or leave like on their own power. And they're like, uh, we all failed. So they go back to the bad guys and they're like, well, we should just kill him. I think this was a dumb idea and we should just get rid of them. Like we had planned initially. This is just elongating the issue. So they all get put in death traps, but snapper shows up and frees them so that they can all like get their senses back and uses the ray to fix them all. And then they all win. And what they find out is that during the time where they were all under the spell of these bad guys in in the green lantern flash fight as they're fighting each other they find a loophole in their uh i guess like command structure where it's like we can't signal for help with our devices but i can signal help with your device so they both press each other's signal device 
during the struggle. And Snapper's like, that's where they are. So Snapper goes into the JLA trophy room, which has like the Amazo robot and a bunch of other stuff, which was really cool. Like just more world building of the trophy room of like past things. Finds Dr. Destiny's fake Green Lantern outfit, uses the anti-gravity technology in it to fly to the JLA and and he gets rid of the things that they're trying to steal so that they don't have anything to steal and then helps free them, which I thought was like a really cool like throwback situation. And it was funny because they all kind of free each other from their death traps, except for Green Lantern, who's pinned to a giant yellow target, so he can't do anything to it. And when Flash saves him, he's like, I feel really bad. I didn't save anybody. And they're like, no, it's cool, man. You saved us a bunch of times. It's our turn to return the favor. Plus, Snapper got to be the hero this time. Mm -hmm. They round everybody up. So, first big thing that we want to talk about, obviously, in these stories is each one of them has a specific JLA member highlighted as doing a really cool thing. Uh, Martian Manhunter saves the day with uh, Professor Fortune. Green Lantern saves the day with Dr. Destiny, but Green Arrow was the one to figure everything out. You had uh, Aquaman was the one that got everybody out of their like weird funk when they were in the Funhouse mirrors. And then Snapper Carr figured everything out uh, in the last story, which is really interesting that everyone's getting a, ch- uh, like a, a chance to shine and be the hero in a team of heroes. It's not mm-hmm. saying that everyone isn't doing anything. It's just... This is the one that saves the day today, you know, and I think that's really interesting that we've got that. And also, again, like the JLA trophy room where you see like all the past, you know, victories that they've had and how Snapper goes in and takes the Dr. Destiny stuff. And Gardner Fox is straight up using the like, remember back in this issue of this comic or this issue of this comic so that you can remember like, what is that from? And then he reminds you so you can go back and look at your old comic and be like oh yeah that's what that is yeah we but, have legit editor's notes yeah we're, we're seeing real genuine continuity right now and it's super cool and i'm really excited for it um oh at the end of the uh the, the circus story where like the the aliens were you know using the fun house to, to teleport people everyone goes on a date with their significant other as their alter ego and it's really hilarious to just see that you're like what the hell is this except aquaman <laughs> Aquaman does not go on a date yeah. but you see everyone in their alter ego going on a date in a very fan fiction sort of a situation where it's like everyone's on a date at the same place and it was like huh alright <laughs> yeah. I would probably read the circus AU hell yeah I would read that as like you know Superman is the strong man and like I snapper is the carnival barker nah you know who he is he's an usher yeah like Sna- a really enthusiastic snapper's usher. the guy who takes care of the animals like he's the young kid that that knows all the carnies. Yeah, and it, like it's just they're not, like they're all. It's there. not that it's his job; it's that he's good at it. Yeah. And like every once in a while, the person, like very often, the person whose job it is lets him do it. Yeah, he's the animal handler. Um, but anyway, that's that's it for the circus AU. I want it to be noted though, like there was a circus story, and we didn't mind. Yeah, it. Be, I think it was because it didn't have to do with the circus. Yeah. I think that was really what it is. But remember, everybody, nothing good ever happens at the fair. <laughs> nothing good ever happens at the circus. Everything's terrible. Never go to one. So it was, yeah, you're right. It, we we didn't really mind and it didn't really clock for me until you even said that. But yeah, we had a circus story and it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, but I, I'm really happy with the level of world building and continuity that's in this. It's not like the greatest I've ever seen. But still, it's far and away as close as what we're going to get to Hawkman and Adam Strange right now. Like, levels of continuity. Yeah. I would say... uh, One point we had a word for this, and it wasn't... uh, Or, 
we we decided that continuity worked for the thing where it's like pulling elements from the past and like oh making references back and then there was what was it plot momentum well we had a word at one point mm. and i'll i'll forget to look it up later on uh that was about oh and this leads to this change leads to this change leads to this change mm. but continuity we said was sort of good for the like encyclopedia side of things yeah and this has i think continuity mm-hmm. like yeah it's, within that definition this absolutely. um it has at least its own continuity within its own book. It doesn't have continuity with respect to the entire DC universe as a line. It has continuity with what happens within Justice League and Brave and the Bold. Yes, asterisk. I agree that it has it has it technically and it does respect what's happened before and it does feel like some things do change, but it's not we're not doing like uh two parters yet. Uh we're not doing stories where like long yeah, running arcs. You're right. This is this is kind of a but, one after one after the other after the other sort of a yeah, thing, which is what we were but, seeing in Hawkman and Adam yeah, Strange. We're, we're in the sixties. Yeah, it's it's very definitely what it is. Yeah. Um but these were good. These were fun. Um you know, coming off of disappointing Wonder Woman and, and <laughs> you know, uh Martian Manhunter, these are a treat. They're mm-hmm. probably just as good as um the Green Arrow and Adam Strange books were. Like Green Arrow was fun swashbuckling mm-hmm. and Adam Strange was um, cool, interesting ideas. I'll agree with that. Uh, I was a little bit cooler on him than you were, but fundamentally, like, I mean, inoffensive in the sense of like nothing was bad. Yeah. Uh, I, I was, I was tired reading it, but I think it was more that I was tired when I was reading it yeah. and it was like, okay, uh, nothing, nothing made me like sit up and take notice and like jolt myself yeah. wide awake but there were there were good bits uh some some of the a lot of the scenarios were oh that's clever yeah it's challengers of the unknown yeah yeah i'll agree with that do you have notes i do all right let's go notes i have down fucking i have missed snapper car <laughs> snapper car is just like it's right. solid I, I don't mind him no i like i like snapper too yeah uh it's it's rather impressive how different my reception is of him than basically every like sidekick that was introduced in the, in uh, the Golden Age. Yeah, he is no Doivy Dickles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I re- there are some bits of the art here that I like. Like first yeah, off, like the definitely. paneling, uh, there are a lot more like super tall shots, which are interesting, and I liked. Uh, and also, uh, I don't remember uh, what was the name of the artist Sikowski. Uh, he does a pretty good job of making characters look like beaten down. Like mm-hmm. there's a bit where Aquaman is trying to swim. Fucking love that. Yeah, I know. That it looks, looks like he's climbing good. up a waterfall. Yeah, oh, and, like, that was the, awesome. The climbing itself isn't that great, but he looks worn the fuck out, and I'm super down with that. Uh, these are characters who don't look perpetually perfect. Uh, from the same uh, issue, I have the phrase, "Of course, giant puppets." A sentence said by no one ever. Right. Oh, this one's fucking fascinating. So one of the things, the the way in which I read these comics, uh, one of the upshots is that, eh, one of the upsides, I always forget that upshots isn't just the positive things, it's like the takeaways, which I did not know for like 28 years. Uh, but one of the upsides of the way that I read these comics is that I can read like the letter pages or see the ads. And I stumbled across this gem. It is 
a student uh, from a high school newspaper. Uh, like uh, one of the editors published, like it's un- it it reads like an editorial. Right. So I'm gonna assume that's what it is. Uh, about the positive effects of uh comics. Hmm. Uh, like basically just hey, these aren't dumb. It, we're not dumber for reading them. We read other things as well. This is a nice little palate cleanser. All that good stuff. Cool. Uh, and what's interesting is first off, I mean it's well written. What's second off? It's most of a page. It's like two thirds of a page. That, wow! And they're they are reproducing the uh, the article. It originally huh. ran in the newspaper in that newspaper. Uh, this is them reproducing it in more. I think in full. Third, and this is really fascinating. It is from uh, the Jackson, Missouri uh, high school newspaper, The Squalor. And it is an okay. It's an editorial uh, by Gary Friedrich. Friedrich, Friedrich. I'm probably mispronouncing it. Entitled "What's Wrong with Comics?" Question mark as a rhetorical question. And what's fascinating about that is, I am pretty sure that this is the same Gary Friedrich who created Ghost Rider and wrote a ton of Sergeant Fury. <laughs> because I, I was like, oh, I wonder <laughs> if that guy ever went on to do anything. And it's like, holy shit. The, that guy who did Ghost Rider and Sergeant Fury stuff is was from that same high school at about that time period, and it huh. it blew my damn mind. That's cool. This is a sign of how we are advancing chronologically. Like sometimes it feels like this. We're mo- sometimes it feels like we're moving glacially, but we are distinctly further in than when we started all this, including when we started the Silver Age, because there was a point where uh, Snapper Carr says, this is the living most. Yeah. yeah. Which is good. <laughs> but I was like, you know, like, is this actually slang? And you know who was alive in the 60s? My parents. So Did I got ask to ask your mom. And dad? I act, I straight up like well, you ask I, my parents like too, yeah. Monday or Tuesday morning. I texted my parents just like, is this something people actually said? We are at this stage where my parents will get enthusiastic remembering bits of slang that I read in comic books. There you go. Oh man, this one bugged me. Like as sort of the inverse to really liking how uh, some of the bits of the art. Uh, the paneling's good. You've got some cool shots of people looking a little more bedraggled. That's cool. But then there are moments where it's just, what the fuck is going on here? There's a bit where uh, one of the ones that stands out, Snapper and his girlfriend pushing on like one of those like tilting doors. Yeah, it was like on a on a, on a hinge in the center, so the the door rotated. Like when you push through it, it rotated, and then it was like a different wall on the back. Yep, and they're pushing it, and it's going in in the direction that they're not pushing it. Right. It it hurt. Mhm. Mhm. Oh, this is a cool little moment um from the same issue uh so Snapper and uh, Snapper and his girlfriend are on the alien planet and Superman comes and saves them and uh Snapper actually explains that they made me an honorary member and uh yeah. after this thing reference to Starro. Yeah. And what's cool there is, like, it it means that Snapper isn't bragging about... He's not, like, constantly telling his girlfriend. Like, he has to explain to his girlfriend, yeah, like, I'm 
not just like I don't just hang out with them. Like I'm an honorary member. Like they they yeah, made it so I could like get. He's not he's them. not talking about it at school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he, he's not bragging all the time. Yeah. Which he's not humble happen. bragging. Like that was actually really funny. I remember that when she's like, "How do you actually know the Justice League?" And he's like, "Oh, did I not tell you that I helped them stop a sentient starfish monster from space? That happened. I'm sorry." And it's not uh, even like even a super dramatic, cool like. Yeah, it's a throwaway. Did I not tell you transformation sequence? Yeah. I'm a cool guy. No, he's just like, <laughs> yeah, he was just like, nah, I, I forgot that. Remember that one time when you were mind controlled by a giant starfish? I helped. Like that was, that was like what oh, happened. Wow. Yeah. He, wow. Yeah. Like he, he buried that lead. Yeah. That's like, you don't think you would like immediately like fucking tell everyone at school. I helped save everyone from the starfish monster. And he just, just like, walks into every <laughs> class, just says, you're welcome. Hey guys. And it was, Oh God, it's snapper. <laughs> All right. So my last, Oh, no, there are two things. Uh, so my second to last thing, uh, I rabbit hold super hard on this one. Uh, it's about comics prices mm. because this is kind of fascinating. And I've talked a little bit about this before, uh, specifically like uh, right around this time, uh, DC comics are mainly 10 cents, uh, but they're marked as sometimes they're marked as still 10 cents specifically in opposition to dell comics mainly which had gone to i think 12 might have been 15 and just immediately all their sales tanked and they were the ones who had uh donald or scrooge scrooge mcduck uh, a lot of disney stuff a lot of other like branded things uh so they needed to make a little extra money to cover the cost of the brands but so from the perspective of the JLA, like, I just kind of, I wonder, like, tracking through 1980, what, where do the price change, how does the price change? Turns out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, this is actually legitimately fascinating. So issue uh, one through seven. So through November 1961, we have 10 cents. And it's usually still 10 cents. Uh, they start doing that, uh couple months before issue eight where in january of 1962 where it goes up to 12 cents then it's a while it's 19 it's uh issue 73 august of 69 before it goes up to 15 cents from here on out uh hold on to your butts issue 91 uh august of 1971 it's there they become 25 cents but they're double length with uh, three stories, and the secondary stories are reprints from the Golden Age. So you get that tactic coming in. Wow. Okay. Uh, issue 100 in 1972, August, goes down to 20 cents, cuts out the reprints, still slightly longer than before it went to the double length. Uh, or, yeah, before it went to the double length. Uh, issue 110, March of 74 goes up to 50 cents it's a hundred pages and like it's like three full length ones or it might have been uh one full length new thing and then two like halves of full length stories from the past it's gigantic it's 100 Lord. pages and for for how much uh 50 cents jesus christ yeah so doubled in price massively long uh mostly reprints Still, a lot of golden age. Still a lot yeah. of comics, though. Yeah, no question on that score. And then issue one eleven through sixteen, it goes 
up to 60 cents with the same structure of 100 or 100 pages. No explanation for why 110 was 50 cents and those others were 60 cents. Uh, then in issue 117, it goes to 25 cents, back down. Issue 129 in April of 76 goes up to 30 cents. Issue 139, February of 77, up to 50 cents. They're giant size, but they're all new content. Then 143, so just four comics later, uh, it goes up to 60 cents. Then 15 issues later, it goes back down to 50 cents. And then eight later, it goes down to 40 cents. And then in 180, issue 182, September of 1980, it goes up to 50 cents again. And it has a backup comic again. What the hell's happening over I there? I don't know. Like, it changed. I want to go back in time and be like, guys, figure it out. All right? <laughs> like, you can't release another comic until you figure this out for, like, a year. Just a year. <laughs> it, it had a net change. It had four, five price changes between February of 77 and September of 80. And it's like... It's like a scale where it goes up and then down and then up again. Yeah, it's like a seismograph. Actually, yeah. Oh, wow. It is a perfect sine wave. It goes 50, 60, 50, 40, 50. Oh, good. That's not weird. <laughs> it's, it's interesting stuff. Like, yeah. I, and I wish I knew more about the logic behind it because I don't think... None of this quite corresponds with what I would think of as the point where prices change for a lot for the rest of the economy, which is the uh, the oil embargo from OPEC. Uh, I think it was OPEC at that point. It might have been OPEC might have been formed after that. Uh, but one way or another, the use of the oil weapon. Right. Uh, but it just That's I don't super understand weird. it, super and I want to know more about the rationale behind it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like I can understand things getting more expensive, and okay, like we we can make this still work if we have if we do reprints, but this just bounces around a lot. Yeah, that's awful. <laughs> there was, however, one major benefit, one huge discovery that I made when I was going through this because I was trying to figure out, like, okay, like what stories are actually in here so i wasn't just working off of the wikia i was also like flipping through uh like skimming a couple issues like okay well that's what that one looked like skip forward 10 okay that's what that one looks like and i discovered something that i didn't realize existed so at flashback in matthew's life at one point there was a sonic issue that was a parody of the fantastic four i've talked about this before yes uh, I did a little bit of a uh, song from it, if memory serves. Yes. Uh, and in it, the the resolution to the story was that the Fantastic Four, the Sonic version of the Fantastic Four, beat a Robotnik version of Galactus by feeding him Twinkies instead of him eating the planet. And holy shit, apparently this was a real thing in the 70s. I was flipping through comics looking at prices and one had Batman and Robin defeating a mummy with Twinkies in like a one-page little story that showed on, I think, the inside cover of an issue of JLA. It, like... Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> and it's it's exactly the kind of product placement you think it is. Like, it's written pretty on style. The art ain't bad. 
it's quickly robin the spongy cakes of a twinkie will fill his hunger what the fuck oh god let me see if i can bring it up because this is ridiculous yeah (laughs) i don't think i have the link saved but which is too bad that's good uh that's that's rich but yeah so apparently this was for seven years from 1977 to uh, presumably 1982 hostess had ads in both marvel and dc it's good shit yeah like what we do see at at the point that we're reading right now we do see like brand and brand comics uh in the sense of there'll be like a like a half page thing of like tootsie rolls or tootsie pop specifically i think would have like a oh uh here's this guy who has like we basically like uh roller skates and that's what he's known for i think his name is get his name is like speed uh but he's sure. just a kid he's just a kid and it's like oh i'd better that that person's running away with uh with that person's uh purse i should go report it to the police really quickly and i could get there fast because i eat my tootsie roll pops and that gives me energy or some shit like that but it's never <laughs> the like the comic characters right and it's never a full page but 1977 Batman and Robin and the Mummy. There we go. And Twinkies. Yep. All right. Do we do recommendations? Uh, yes. Uh, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, so I discovered on a wrestler's Twitter a really good YouTube rapper that I really like who does YouTube videos that are raps that are remixes of the wrestler's walkout theme Ooh. that are wrapped specifically about the wrestler. And they're super good. It's called wrestle flow and he's on YouTube. Google him. Uh, it's awesome. I love all the songs. I listen to all of them and they're all intense. They're all different styles. They're all completely in the theme of the wrestler too. It shows that he really knows the characters. I liked it a lot. So go watch wrestle flow. I will need to check that out. I will show you when we're done recording. Mm-hmm. I actually had a uh, music one as well, and this is one that I I just discovered yesterday. A band called Caravan Palace. Okay. And it's it's difficult to destru- describe. It's electric jazz. Okay. Kinda. I'm in. I'm in. It's it's definitely a little more electro pop with jazz as sort of the instrumentation. It's got that kind of warbly saxophone. Sure. Kind of the way I describe it. Uh, and fast talking vocalist over it. I. It's weird and interesting. Like there's uh, I, I wound up having like one of those like auto created uh, YouTube playlists based off of oh you watched a lot of this uh, a lot of uh, thanks algorithm. Music. Yep, uh, and it was also a really cool music video. Uh, it, it was very black sad actually. Yeah. Uh, uh, just some cats in varsity jackets walk into a strip club and violence ensues. Uh, with as it always like, does, Dobermans with... in fancy business jackets. As it does, they're taking with... shots of milk. <laughs> I love it. It's it's a lot weird but weird things. It's. It's very like weird French electro pop, I guess. Uh, it's a lot of phrases. Yeah, <laughs> accurate. No, I like it though. But yeah, cool. I've, I've enjoyed it. Like, I don't know how, how deep I'll go, but like, I put it on for yeah, like twenty minutes at work, and it's like, okay, this is good. Like, this is good. Uh, get stuff done. Music. Yeah. All right. Cool. I think that about does it. Yes, so. I think it does. So next episode, we're going to be doing more JLA. Woo. So get ready. We're going to go through 1962 to 1963.
We'll see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. We are now also on YouTube and Spotify. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter. It was almost worth the price of admission just to hear a superhero say the words luck glands with a straight face. The League's adventures were zany, but unlike many Silver Age stories we'd heard, they were well-structured and satisfying, and Gardner Fox was starting to weave in items and villains from past stories. We reviewed our notes and set our alarms for the next session with the League. Things were starting to get interesting.